Welcome back to the Disaster Tough Podcast. I'm your host, John Scardina. We are going to get in it today with the Hawaii disaster with the wildfires, specifically the mass notifications blunder. If you've been listening to Disaster Tough, you know that this podcast really focuses really heavily on making wise choices, learning from other crisis leaders out there, and looking at how to do emergency management for response. So if you like Disaster Tough Podcast and you like response, all those things, I'm going to be at a, a conference later this year with Urban Search and Rescue, the National Urban Search and Rescue Conference, which is chaired by uh, Chief Walt Lewis, who's been on this podcast, also involved with Joe Hernandez, who is like probably the most famous USAR member in the world with Oklahoma City bombing and with 9-11 Twin Towers and Haiti earthquake and all these amazing uh, things that he was uh, able to um, help out with, really the amazing work that he did out there in these different disasters. They've invited the Readiness Lab to be involved with the National Urban Search and Rescue Conference. They have seen a greater need for emergency managers to learn about response, how tacticians like um, fire, police, EMS, urban search and rescue, of course, USAR, and uh, you know, seeing how they need emergency managers and how emergency managers need to learn how they operate better. During November uh, 6th through 8th in Orlando, if you really care about response, and you're an emergency manager who really wants to focus specifically on urban search and rescue, we are inviting people to join us in Orlando. The readiness lab is going to be out there. And what we're going to do is our piece of the National USAR Conference is going to focus on emergency management technologies, or EM tech. So EM tech at the National USAR Conference is going to be happening again, November 6th through 8th. Here's the big kicker. Because this is a new arm of this huge conference that's happening, and they really want emergency managers to attend, they're offering emergency managers a 10% discount if they put in the readiness lab into the National Ur Urban Search and Rescue uh, page, which we can attach on the show notes. So if you're interested, again, in response, learning about USAR, you're an EM, and you want to learn more about EM tech, really like the emergency emerging technologies that will help out that coordination piece, definitely check out, oh my gosh, I've said this probably like the 10th time, the National USAR Conference happening in Orlando, November 6th or 8th. So pretty big pitch there, um, but wanted to talk about that, especially because this episode is going to be talking about Hawaii's wildfires, specifically the mass notification issues. And just to kick this off, um, you know, a lot of people um, get on social media and they give their opinions without a lot of context or background or understanding that armchair decision and post, right? And um, that is frustrating to see because, you know, if you've been out there, you know that it's a little different. Um, in 2017, I started responding to the wildfires in Southern California. They uh, blasted Southern California. And throughout the, like the next six months or so, I dealt with wildfires all over the West Coast. I had to use some really innovative ideas like using drones for preliminary damage assessments. Thank you, Cal OES, for allowing me to uh, do that and the National Strike Team with FEMA. 
and all these other things in order to help the coordination piece happen much more fast, faster, right? And dealing with evacuations and dealing with mass care and dealing with sheltering operations, which is kind of mass care um, and, and all this stuff. And so, so for somebody who was in Coffee Park, which is Northern California, and seeing the devastation of wildfires, when I started looking at everything in Hawaii, I was instantly reminded of, you know, I I've, I've really felt like I was like back in Coffee Park. In fact, I had to take a moment. Um, it was pretty brutal. And um, with that, I started looking at all the things that were happening. And um, one of the major discussions that's happening right now is the mass notifications or rather the lack of sirens being used um, to notify people. And there could be like a thousand plus dead. Um, everybody that, to date well, that I'm recording this, everybody that they have found for bodies have been outside of homes. They haven't even been able to locate the bodies inside the homes. And um, that's pretty difficult. And so I want to address that. This is I'm addressing this from somebody who's responded to numerous wildfires. I'm somebody who's been interviewing crisis leaders for four years on this podcast, T talking with people with ground truth. I also have ground truth and doing all this kind of stuff. And you as a listener, a lot of you are highly experienced. And, uh, you know, we have what hundreds of thousands of listeners at this point. Um, I'm going to play you four sounds. Okay. I'm going to play you four sounds and I need you to tell me if you think the, they are uh, hurricane, tornado, tsunami, or nuclear attack. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. You tell me if the following is, again, hurricane, tornado, tsunami, or nuclear attack. Okay? So I'm going to play each of them for you now. So... Here's one. Here's two. Here's three. And here's four. Okay, so the first one was a tornado. Okay. The second one was tsunami. The third one was nuclear attack. And the fourth one, I gotcha. It's actually just a train. And if you thought that was hurricane, that should tell you anything about this conversation that we're going about to have. A very serious and very real conversation about no more excuses. So it's like uh, I'm in the Midwest, right? And um, if I went out there and I was an emergency manager and I had to press the button during an event, right? Any event. You're, you're near the Ozarks or you're near the Appalachian Mountains and uh, the tornado siren goes off, right? 
and you're like, oh my gosh, a tornado siren's going off. You look outside, it's sunny. You step outside and you're like, oh, there's no clouds in the sky. Oh, but there's this massive mudslide heading towards me. Oh, but the tornado siren's going off. It must be a tornado. I'm just going to hope go back inside and go into my basement, even though I know this mudslide's heading right for me. Right? And so you have to realize that that scenario sounds so ridiculous. Right? If you have a warning uh, siren in Hawaii... That on the website, by the way, and I will read this verbatim from the website, the all-hazard hazard siren system can be used for a variety of both natural and human-caused events, including tsunamis, hurricanes, dam breaches, flooding, wildfires, volcanic eruptions, terrorist threats, hazardous materials incidents, and more. Then it goes on to talk about how loud it is. And we'll talk about that in a second. But imagine you're in this situation in Hawaii... Fast forward to the real world, and you think, oh, this siren is usually used for tsunamis. And maybe you're right. Maybe the public usually thinks it's for tsunamis. We'll talk about that for in a second, for, for example. But you decide to press the button. Everybody hears this siren. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's tsunamis. I need to run outside and go uphill. They step outside. The ocean's still there. And there's this massive wildfire headed towards you. Do you really think that the maybe the momentary confusion of, wait, was this a tsunami or wildfire, that people would run towards the wildfire? You can't survive a wildfire. You really can't survive a tsunami either, to be honest. But if there's nothing in the water and there's no waves and the water is still there and there's a massive wildfire... People are going to know immediately, thank you for letting me waking me up because it's just a noisemaker and this wildfire is going towards me. So uh, my number one, I'm going to give six issues here that I think we can overcome immediately as emergency managers. And if you can't overcome these issues, then honestly, just get out of the way. Um, one for mass notifications, sirens are just noisemakers. You are professionals and you couldn't tell which siren was which on this own podcast, right? So sirens are just noisemakers. Here's the lesson. Don't get stuck in policy versus application issue. Don't get stuck in the policy versus application issue. It's an amateur mistake. Sometimes people get so caught up in the plan that they wrote that they forget that it's a guideline. The planning process is more important than the plan. That's an emergency planning axiom. Every emergency planner on, uh, on the earth should know that, right? The, the second axiom of you know emergency planning, which was written by Rodney Melsick, who is literally the most famous emergency planning responder on earth, who probably has probably 30 more years of planning response than anybody else on earth, literally. Um, the guy's been doing it forever and... He's been all over the world and just incredible. But one of his axioms for emergency planning is there's no such thing as plan B. Make plan A work. You have to get people out of their homes in a wildfire. You have to wake them up. You have to use every tool available to you. And if you're so stuck in your policy, which, by the way, you didn't know that you didn't help people out, no, like it, it, I'm just gonna not gonna do anything. So, 
horrible mistake, right? Emergency manager. I usually don't like to call out other emergency managers, you know, our field, but it's time to wake up. Um, it is bewildering that the most uh, embarrassing mass notifications mistake in Hawaii is not an intercontinental ballistic missile headed to the island, right? That was in, I think, January 23rd, 2018. Somebody might correct me on um, uh, online, but it was in January 2018. That was over five years ago. It's embarrassing. It is straight up embarrassing that we haven't figured this out. Okay, so before I go uh, too heated on that. So noisemakers, right? The lesson learned that hopefully everybody can implement is don't get stuck in policy versus application. The application has to come first. What can it do for me? How can I use this resource? Right? You got to be able to think outside the box, right? Make plan A work. You got to get people out. That's the plan, right? Or that's, uh, you know, yeah, that's the plan. Okay. Um, the next uh, misconception I've heard is uh, sirens are designed to be outdoors. Okay. Maybe that's true, but maybe they could be heard indoors. You don't think it's possible for a mass notification siren to be heard indoors? Have you heard uh, sirens before? Like we all get, we all get the test sirens, Hawaii, U.S. Otherwise, sirens, of course, could be heard indoors. To do nothing, here's the lesson learned: doing something is better than doing nothing in an emergency management response. I'll say that again. Doing something is better than doing nothing. In other aspects of life, sometimes the long game, waiting it out, the Tron, whatever, sometimes doing nothing is a statement. But doing nothing in our field and response when you have to do something, even when you don't have all the information, I did an episode about that, about how in the first you know, four hours of a disaster, you have only 20% of information. You can continually update and change, but it is incredibly sad that somebody has to deal with the realization that if they just would have pressed a button, they might have gotten more people alive right now, right? So uh, maybe the siren's going to be heard indoors. At least try. If you have resources, doing something is better than doing nothing. I will have your back if you try to do something. It's really hard for me to have your back if you choose to do nothing, okay? Um Number three, and I kind of called this out earlier, um, but the tsunami versus the, um, you know, what kind of siren is this, right? We, we, we talked about that before, but people are smarter than you think. That's the lesson, okay? Even if you have a tsunami warning and people are used to having a tsunami warning, um, it can be used for other purposes. Case in point, in 2018 in Hawaii, with the blunder of the uh, ballistic missile headed to Hawaii, they used the sirens. They used the same methodology that they decided not to use now because they were, you know, it, it was a mistake. But you know what happened is um, all these people were talking about how at first they thought it was a tsunami, but then they realized through the text message and through other means that it wasn't a tsunami. They could see the water. And so uh, that just like proves it like right there. Like there's like actual, you know, evidence that shows that people were able to use logic and intelligence, even during an extremely emotional moment of 
life-threatening moment that they thought that they actually used it. So people are smarter than you think. We say things like, you know, people are smart, public is stupid, right? I think that's like a men in black line that's been like repeated by like everybody and misquoted everywhere. Um, but the, the case here is in response, um, you, you want to save people and people are smarter than what emergency managers give them credit for. And quite frankly, the hubris is just ridiculous. Like I see so many mistakes. We have people in our field who's literally never done the job, who've never been in response, who call themselves an expert and are, you know, running, um, you know, for, you know, these social clubs, the president of social clubs presenting themselves like they're an expert and they've never done the job. So, and, and people are supporting that. So in every field and every cap you know, capacity in the world, there's people who have high intelligence and people who have low intelligence, people who have a lot of capacity, who people have minimal capacity. But to automatically assume that, oh, just nobody's going to get it is, um, is a mistake. People are smarter than what we give them credit for. And uh, we should rely on the intelligence of others. We shouldn't um, dumb down our response because we don't think people can do it. Are there cases of, of people doing like horribly stupid mistakes and disaster? The number one cause of hurricane deaths right now, I think, is putting generators in a home. Yes, there are mistakes of that. But in one disaster, they said that was the number one cause of death, but that was eight deaths. And while that is incredibly sad, it came down to like basically two homes and the thousands of people who didn't die from doing that was exponentially larger. And so when you're talking about that, just remember like, you know, um, it, it's the problem that um, my friends in law enforcement have when they pull over somebody with a speeding ticket. They have just come from a, a domestic violence issue or they just came from you know, a car scene where somebody crashed their car and really hurt themselves. And so when they show up, they're overly aggressive. They have all these experiences, but they think that's the normal and it's not the normal. They forget that there are millions of cars passing by them, right? That are not getting in an accident, that are not being stupid, uh, that are not looking down at their phone, hopefully like that kind of stuff, Right. And so it's it, we just have to remember that sometimes our perspective is a little skewed. While that wasn't really like one of my six, sometimes it happens and it's just probably a good call out. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I called this out on number two, but I'm going to reiterate it. Doing nothing because maybe it won't help is unacceptable. The maybe it won't help is, um, is, uh, is just a, a fallacy. Right. Like um, there are stories where um, emergency managers have to explain or people have to explain their actions of why they did something it is much easier to walk through of like, hey, this was my thought process. This is why I did that. Then in then getting in front of the media with your mayor who's being belligerent and just like, oh, yeah, uh, my my fire chief didn't tell me to press the button. Right which leads into number five, the process of approval. Remove tacticians from emergency management uh, policy and procedure. A fire chief who is dealing with a raging wildfire 
shouldn't have to call the emergency management agency to say, hey, tell people there should, there should be this major evacuation. Uh, we should empower ourselves and others and advocate for that, that, hey, you do your job, you get out there, and while you're overwhelmed with this raging wildfire or whatever it might be, allow the emergency managers who are back in an emergency operations center to do something about that. And so I would, the lesson learned here is emergency managers advocate for yourselves, push yourself to be able to do things that will help support first responders. The, um, the national USAR conference is a great example of that. They are calling that out. They're saying, Hey, we want this, but we need to learn to trust you a little bit more and you need to prove yourself. Emergency managers do. We need to prove ourselves. The, disparity between um, competency and incompetency is massive right now. There are no true standards in our field. I've addressed that several times in the past. Next level emergency management training when coordination and collaboration between um, all the different stakeholders, ESFs in a single training, that is what it should look like, right? That coordination collaboration piece at the strategic level. Absolutely. But we need to get up there as a field. Uh, which leads into my last one. No more excuses. Innovate or get out of the way. There's enough data and enough technology out there to show why communications on AARs shouldn't be a thing anymore. We should uh, get, it, get over this. It's quite frankly embarrassing for our field at this point. Five years ago, for example, in Hawaii, had a, a major issue. They should have looked at all their policy and their procedures and their capabilities and their applications and said, okay, how do we make sure that we don't have a mistake like that again? And when there's a real event, how do we make sure that we're on top of it? Right. That should have been easy five years ago. Um, and yet here we are a thousand people possibly could be, um, could be dead, um, because of this issue. Right. Um, I am, I, I like Craig Fugate a lot and he's been on this podcast and he knows us and I, and I've said it to him and I've said it to others. We have said this uh, misconception in our field for a very long time that every disaster is different. Every disaster is different. Every disaster is different. Is it? Because when I go out to a hurricane, I know, ex I know exactly what my job is, right? Especially if I'm following ICS and I go out there with a strike team and I have a role to play and I have all this training to do on, on my specific job type. The, the nuances of how many people... What's the scale? That kind of stuff does change, but we also have types for that. That real talk, we don't really follow very, very well, right? There's even a debate of if 9-11 was a type one or type two event because of the metrics, but that's a whole other topic. But in that, in any case, like every disaster is not different, right? Like I know what a wildfire is going to do. I know where the flood is going to go. I know which, what sheltering operations look like and the things out to, to look out for and what evacuation um, should look like. And I know um, security concerns and I understand, you know, all this, all these different aspects of these mission sets within the ESFs. We have, you know, the, the lifelines. Now we have all this information to be able to help us out. We need to start applying some data science to our field and up the game. We can enhance our response capabilities and by doing so, that means our planning, 
That means response. That means recovery. The whole gambit. We can improve these processes within the disaster life cycle. I am 100% convinced. I did data science for, um, you know, for Apple. And I saw the amount of incredible ideas that were coming out of data science in order to find nuances that people just weren't aware of and seeing the dramatic change, um, just capturing the data and what the data could do. I saw that in doing GIS on the national strike team. And I see it now with emerging technologies and working with different technology companies like L3 Harris, like ChatGPT, like Slack, like, um, gosh, there's so many others out there that are just doing some really awesome things. Um, and we need to capture that. And so if you're talking about a funding issue and you're talking about all those things, sure, we can talk about grants and we can talk about all that other stuff. But as a field, as a field, it is time to innovate or get out of the way. If you can't keep up and you want to get on front of the news and say, hey, I decided not to do anything and it's because I didn't really understand our policy and because of this, because of that, that's unacceptable. And it does make sense that that emergency manager was resigned. I'm super blunt about that, but uh, life-saving, life-sustaining over everything else. And um, pretty brutal episode, but I hope that you know, a 28 minute conversation about some kind of some hard truths, some disaster tough truths is not nearly as difficult as the conversation it will be have with the first responders to every family that they have to notify of their dead loved ones. If you think this conversation is difficult because of, uh, because it's, you know, uncomfortable and because it's just obvious, hopefully it's obvious and it makes you kind of wake up a little bit, put that in perspective. This is nothing compared to telling somebody that a loved one has been killed, right? Um, so let's have that conversation now. Think about that. I hope this lesson, this lesson, this lesson, I hope this podcast makes you think a little bit. It's definitely making me think. I wasn't going to share these ideas. I, I After Uvalde was another one where I really wanted to go off. Um, but it's time. It's time that we wake up as a field and hopefully you are, um, you're one of us, you're disaster tough. You can take the hard truths and you do something about it. Uh, do something about it by coming to die pop. We have a lot of people coming to die pop in a week to talk about dynamic populations and do missions and to work with all these different kinds of people. And then you can do it again at the national use conference in November. And there's a uh, lots of other ways to do it. If you go to out to IAEM, uh, you know, that same week, then I, I hope that you can have a conversation with emergency managers like, hey, it's time to have a hard truth moment. And how do we how do we overcome this as a field? I hope that happens wherever you are, whatever your sphere of influence is. I absolutely hope that that's what you're going to do. And um, for that, uh, this is the end of the episode. 30 minutes of me talking. Uh, we're going to be getting back to guests in the fall. So very excited for that. And, um, you know, we'll see you for the next one. Peace.